Welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson starts a new series called Elevate. In this week's passage, he takes us through Psalms 34, 1-3, and Isaiah 6, 1-8. Psalms 34 gives us a great exhortation. Let us exalt His name together. Isaiah 6 gives a stunning word picture of God exalted. Exalt means to elevate. This message deals with what that means and does not mean. Let me invite you to turn to Psalm 34. We're actually going to be in two passages this morning. Uh, we're going to start here with Psalm 34. I was having lunch with a friend a couple of weeks ago. He's also a, a member here of River Fellowship. And in the conversation, I don't remember exactly how we got on this particular topic, but he made the statement that his heart and his desire is that God would be elevated. And as soon as he said that, a little switch went off in my head and I said, I think I could make a sermon out of that. So I told him right there on the spot, I said, hey, I may steal that, but if I do, I'll give you credit. Well, I'm stealing it uh, today. I would give him credit, but I won't mention his name. But the good news about this is, that if it's a really bad series, it's his fault. It's not mine. It was a bad topic. The, the series that I want to start today is entitled Elevate. And we're going to talk about a lot of different aspects of what it means to, to elevate and how we can elevate. Uh, this morning, we're going to start with the message, Elevate God, because that's where it starts. That's the foundation. So we'll deal a little bit this, this morning, and this morning I want to lay some groundwork and some framework to it, and we'll kind of carry the thought on to next week as well. So as we talk about elevate here, there's really two meanings to this word elevate. We'll only deal with one of the definitions uh, today for the next several weeks, and then about halfway through the series, we'll introduce the second meaning. But this first meaning uh, really is identified here in Psalm 34, this first passage that we want to look at. Verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times, and his praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. The word elevate, this first definition here, simply means to raise or to lift up. But uh, there's a word in Hebrew, it's also in the Greek, uh, that we've translated Exalt, we see it here in Psalm 34. The word exalt literally means to elevate. So anytime you see the word exalt from now on in Scripture or hear it, I want you to think the concept elevate. That's what the word means. So here in verse 3, when he says, let us exalt his name together, what he's saying is, let us elevate his name together. And that phrase, let us, is really an invitation. Because he had just said, hey, come glorify the Lord with me. And so it's almost like an invitation. Hey, let's do this together. And the invitation really is, let's do it individually, but then let's corporately do it when we come together. So let us individually, let's all glorify him and exalt him. But then when we're gathered together, let's exalt his name and elevate his name together. So really the goal for me for the series when we're done is that we would elevate God together. That would be what we are about. 
that we would do what Psalm 34 says, that we would extol him. In other words, we would give him thanks, that we would praise him, that we would boast about him. We would brag about the Lord, that we would glorify him together. That's, that's the goal. That's the end game is that we would glorify the Lord together. So as we talked this morning about elevate God, what does it mean to elevate God? Let me start with what it does not mean. To elevate God does not mean to place God somewhere. In other words, God's not where he needs to be. He's not where he goes. So I'm going to place him where he goes. That's not what it means. One of our bedroom closets is now the designated toy closet. So when all the grandkids come over, particularly when all of them were over at the same time, they raid the toy closet, and it's as if I think they actually drag out every single toy in that closet, and it's somewhere in the house. It's just scattered everywhere. So when it's time to go, their parents, our kids would say, okay, it's time to go, so let's gather all these toys, and let's put the toys up. Well, what they're really saying is, we need to put the toys where they belong because they're currently not where they belong. To elevate God does not mean to put God where he belongs because he doesn't currently reside where he belongs. Because he always resides where he belongs. He's on his throne right now. He sits where he's supposed to sit right now. We're not placing him anywhere to elevate him. He is where he belongs. Psalm 115, 16 says, the highest heavens belong to the Lord. Psalm 97, 9 says, for you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth, and you are exalted. You are elevated above all other gods. Psalm 8, 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 138, 2 says, you have exalted or you have elevated, elevated above all things your name and your word. So what we're seeing here is that God is already elevated. He is already far above all other gods. He is the Holy One. He is sitting where he belongs and he has placed himself where he belongs. He didn't need any assistance to place him where he belongs. So it's not about placing him somewhere. All right, here's number two, what it does not mean. It does not mean to put God out of reach, to put him somewhere where you can't get to him. Again, when our, with our grandkids, when we, we started having grandchildren, um, we had to kid-proof our house, you know, baby-proof our house. So as soon as they start walking, we have to rearrange stuff because we have to put some stuff up out of their reach. It may be stuff that's gonna be harmful to them or it may be stuff we don't want them to break. So we put it up where they can't reach it. That's not what this means. We're not putting God up somewhere where we can't reach him. When we talk about this concept, it makes me think about, <clears throat> excuse me, the issue of God's presence. When we talk about God's presence, what are we talking about? What does that mean? Well, in theological terms, there are actually two aspects to God's presence. Let me kind of explain it and see if I can illustrate it and, and make it practical for us. The first aspect of his presence is called transcendence. God is transcendent. And his transcendence means that God is separate from, 
and he is independent of, and he is superior to humanity and nature. Okay? He is, he is away. He is separate. He is removed and superior to us. We see that in two distinctions. The first is what's called a qualitative distinction. Psalm 113, 4 through 6 says, The Lord is exalted or elevated over all the nations, and his glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? It's a rhetorical question saying no one is like our God. He is superior. He is far different than us. Isaiah 55, 9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, there is a qualitative distinction between us and God. And more quantity does not create new quality. Example, man may become stronger, but he will never be all-powerful. Man may become wiser, but he will never be all-knowing. Man may become faster, but he'll never be able to be everywhere at the same time. Okay, There is a qualitative distinction between God and us. But also, there is a dimensional distinction between us. We are actually in different dimensions. John 8, 23 says, You are from below, and I am from above. In other words, you're from one dimension, but I'm from a different dimension. You are of this world, but I'm not of this world. Let me illustrate what this means. I have a basketball. This is a basketball. This is a basketball. But there is a big distinction between these two basketballs. This basketball is in three dimensions, and this basketball is in two dimensions. So with the three-dimensional basketball, I can dribble, shoot, whatever. With the two-dimension, it doesn't work. <laughs> so even though these are both basketballs, this is actually an image of a basketball. So this is simply an image, a picture. It's a different dimension. Now, if you apply that to us, we are in the image of God. We were created in his image, but we will never be God. We're to be conformed into the image of Christ, but we will never be Christ. There is a difference. This is one of many of the flaws and fallacies in Mormonism because Mormonism teaches that every one of us will be gods. If we are faithful in Mormonism, when we die, we become a god and we get our own planet where we get to populate that planet as God over that planet. So Jesus was just like us. When he died, he became a god and his planet that he adopted was earth. That's their teaching. There's no difference between Jesus and all of us. Okay, that's false teaching because he is qualitatively different than us and he is in a different dimension than us. That's what God's transcendence means. 
He is separate from, he is independent of, and he is superior to us, okay? But that's just one side of his presence. The other side of his presence is called eminence. And eminence means that God is present in and active within humanity and nature. And we see this uh, proclaimed in Scripture, one, when it clarifies that God sustains all of life. Job 34 says, If God withdrew his spirit and breath, all mankind would perish together. Matthew 5.45 says, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Matthew 6.26 says, The birds do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet God feeds them. In other words, God sustains all of life. That's his eminence. He also permeates all of life. Jeremiah 23.24, Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? Do I not feel the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord. Psalm 139 says, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, you are there. In other words, he permeates all of life. He is active in it and present in it. Now, this is great news for us because one uh, application is I can never run away from God. I can never get out of God's presence. And if I decide to set in my heart that I'm going to run away from God, I'm going to flee God. I don't want to do what he wants me to do anymore. And I'm going to run away. I can never really run away from God because regardless of how long I run or how far I try to run, I'm never any farther away from God than when I began to run. I'm still simply a prayer away. Doesn't matter how long I've been running or how far I've been running. I'm still just one prayer, one breath away from God. Now, dealing with God's presence, both of these are critically important. God is both separate from and superior to us, but he's also very present and active within us. And if we lose either one of these, we get messed up. If all we believe is in God's eminence, that he's just present here, it creates some really bad stuff. That's how humanism was born. We're all gods. There is no really any God different. It's, as humans, we're all gods. That's how naturalism developed. God's in everything. God is, actually is everything. There's not a, a unique God anywhere. That's what liberal theology teaches is that there's nothing divine. There's nothing supernatural. So that when you read scripture, the, the, God doesn't do the supernatural. Everything's just natural. So there's no virgin birth. There's no miracles. That's the kind of teaching that develops if all you have is eminence. But if all you believe in is transcendence, that all he is is this separate from us, what that means is you're going to believe God is unknowable and that he's unreachable. Therefore, salvation is unattainable. The importance is that he is both transcendent 
and imminent. He is separate and superior, but he's also very present and active. And what we see in Jesus Christ is the perfect blend and the perfect representation of both, of all of God's presence. Jesus Christ, who is superior to us, who was, who was God before the creation of the world, sitting on his throne, transcendent from us, superior, but yet he comes in the form of man and he comes present with us and active with us in our world. That's what we see in Jesus Christ is the perfect blend between God's presence. So all of that is introduction to what I want to communicate. And that is, what does it mean to elevate God? What does it mean? Well, to look at that, let's look at a second passage. Isaiah chapter 6. This will be very familiar to some of you. It's a great passage. It's actually a vision that Isaiah is having. And as we read this in a moment, I want to invite you to try to picture exactly what's being read, to, to try to see what Isaiah is actually seeing as he's recording this. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, elevated, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a, coal, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. What a picture. What a vision. What an experience. What an encounter. It gives us some insight to what it means to elevate God. There are three aspects that we find here that it means for us to elevate God. And number one, it means to recognize God. To recognize God for who he is. Verse one, he says, I saw the Lord and I saw him sitting on his throne. I saw him high and elevated. Verse two, he says, I see these angelic beings that are worshiping him. Verse three, I hear them calling out, holy, holy, holy. Verse five, my eyes have seen the king. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. He recognizes the Lord. Isaiah did not put God on the throne. He saw God on his throne. God put himself on the throne. He just saw him on the throne. But this word saw, it, it can mean visible perception, but it actually means something much deeper. It means to know, to understand, to realize, to really grasp. I think what Isaiah is saying here when he says, I saw the Lord is, I see him for who he really is. I really have seen a great picture of him. I have seen his holiness and his majesty and his glory. I've seen him on the throne. I've really captured really who he is and it has 
etched in my soul and in my spirit. There's an accompanying word in the Old Testament that ties in with this word saw. It's the word acknowledge. And all through the Old Testament, you'll see this word acknowledge. It's it's 25 times in the Old Testament. Hosea says it a bunch, but we're encouraged to acknowledge God, to acknowledge his power, to acknowledge his his sovereignty, to acknowledge his rule. But that word acknowledge is a little different maybe than what we think because in West Texas, acknowledge has a little different meaning. When you acknowledge someone, it's kind of like you're driving down that country road and you see somebody coming the other way and you go, You acknowledge them. Or you're walking down the street, sidewalk. I hope you're not walking down the street. But you're walking down the sidewalk and somebody comes next to you and you'll either go, or maybe, what's up? You're acknowledging. That's what we think acknowledge means. That's not the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word for acknowledge is to really get it, to know it. It's an intimate word about relationship. And so that's really what I think Isaiah is saying, is I have acknowledged the Lord. I have seen the Lord, all of his glory and his majesty and his power. I have seen him really as he is and for who he is. And, and wow, it's, it's like this epiphany. It's kind of like the epiphany that, that many of us had when we gave our life to Jesus Christ. When he moved from being just some guy or some teacher or some prophet or maybe I didn't even have a clue to when I really realized that he is the one who died for me, that he is the one who is fully God and fully man, who went to the cross and is resurrected. And when I really get that, when I get that picture, it's like this, oh my gosh, it's life changing. That's what's taking place here with Isaiah. He recognizes God for who he is and it's life changing. So that's the first thing. To elevate God means I understand who he is and I see him really for who he is. That's something our country desperately needs to see today is who God really is. But secondly, it means to rank God. And by rank, I mean to prioritize him. If you rank one to 10, he's number one. When you look at all the elements of your life and the people in your life and the aspects of your life, he should be prioritized as number one. We see two things here that that Isaiah says. In verse five, he says, woe to me, I'm unclean. Here we see that his perspective is affected by this encounter. Now, this is not written in scripture. I'm reading it into scripture now, but I think it's consistent with the context. I think what Isaiah is really saying here is, man, I've seen God in his holiness and it's just exposed my unholiness. (laughs) I've seen God in all of his glory and power and it has exposed me and it has caused me to see me for who I am. And I am unworthy, I am unholy, I am messed up and there's such a gap between him and me. Woe to me, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips because I've seen the difference. Seeing God and recognizing God has changed his perspective. And so it it shifts that. Once he sees that perspective, it switches to, you know what? He is so worthy and so holy. My life should revolve around him instead of around myself because he's the worthy one, not me. In verse eight, he says, here am I. 
Here am I, Lord. I'm yours. I don't know exactly what you want to do with me, but here, am, here I am. And here we see that his purpose is affected. And it ties in together. At this point, he's saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to live my life for you. Whatever you want me to do, that's my prioritized purpose. Wherever you want me to go, that's my prioritized placement. From now on, my purpose is to do what you have purposed in me and for me. So to elevate God means I'm going to rank him number one. He becomes the foundation of everything, that I will elevate him above everything else. And when I elevate him, everything else comes into place. That's what Matthew 6, says. Seek ye first the kingdom, and then everything else is added. Let me illustrate this for you. Again, I use my accessible resources, which are preschool toys. I'm sure some of you have seen these. It's these, these stackable boxes. It's great for preschoolers because it, does, it teaches a lot of things. They're different sizes, so it kind of teaches them size. It, it helps their motor skills as they try to stack it. Each of these boxes have a number on it, so it also helps them you know, learn numbers and that sort of thing. So the, the idea and the goal is to take these boxes and you build this great little stack, this little tower. And if you do it right, you get this stack. And so you know you have built it successfully. Now, if you mess it up and you decide to put things differently, you start to mess up everything and it just doesn't work. So the idea is to stack everything the way it's supposed to be stacked. This is a great representation of what we're talking about right now in ranking God because this really illustrates our life and what our life should be built on. We are supposed to elevate God. Now, with that concept, let me ask you this question. All of these boxes represent an aspect of us, okay? Our, our marriage, our kids, our health, our finances, our goals, our dreams, whatever. If we're to elevate God, which box should represent God? Well, if you're talking about elevating God, it should be this one, right? He's up on the top, but it's not. To elevate God means he's on the base. He's the foundation. There's a paradox when we talk about elevating God. To elevate God actually means he becomes the foundation. He becomes the base that everything else is built upon. He ranks number one. He is first. He's what we build everything else around. And the problem many people are making in their life is they're building their lives on something other than God. They're building their life on their career or on their family or on their finances or on their leisure, on their whatever. And at some point, that might work, but at some point they realize it comes crashing down and this tower just doesn't fit. It just doesn't work. Why? Because it's built on the wrong thing and on the wrong one. So to rank God means he becomes the foundation of everything else, and I build my life on that sure foundation. So to elevate God means I rank him. I recognize him. And when I recognize him and I see him for who he is, that causes me to rank him number one in my life. And that leads to the third 
aspect, to elevate God, means to represent God. What does Isaiah say at the end of verse 8? Send me. What's the first word God says in response in verse 9? Go. <laughs> Pretty simple. Send me. Okay, go. <laughs> what are you waiting on? Go. You've seen who I am. You've got your priorities straight, so go. And that third aspect is to represent God in the world. To elevate God means I want the world to see God the same way I see God. That I want to lift him up so the world can see him. I don't keep him to myself. It's not just an experiential thing that it's cool that I know God and I get to know God and I get to see God for who he is. It, it can't stop there. To really elevate God means what he's doing in me and for me, he begins to do through me and I take to the world so that the world can see who God is. It really takes us back to Psalm 34 that we started with that I go into the world and I extol him to the nations, that I praise him with my lips, that I glorify him with my life. Everything about me wants to bring glory and honor to him. Everything I do, everything I say, the way I think, the way I treat people, my intentionality to want to show Christ, all of this is so that I can represent God to the world. So to truly elevate God, you have all three of these aspects. It starts with realizing and really getting who he really is. And that moves me to rank him number one in my life. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you call me to go, which leads to the third one, that I will represent you rightly before the world. Let me invite you, if you would, to, to bow and to close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to ask you just a series of questions, but I want you to deal personally with the Lord with these questions. Because I don't know which part of the message maybe the Spirit is speaking to you this morning. But one question are you spending enough time with God so that you are seeing him as he is? Because that's where it happens. I really see God for who he is in those private times, in those personal times, in those times of devotion when I'm spending time with the Lord and it's just me and him. That's when he reveals himself the clearest. So sometimes when we're not seeing God, it's because we're not spending the time with him. Maybe the Spirit speaking to you this morning and, and the encouragement word is, to, to re-up, recommit that devotion time. Or maybe the question is, are your priorities in order? When you looked at those boxes, did it strike a chord that you're kind of building your life on different things, that he really isn't number one in your life? Maybe he's an addendum. You know, I'll fill my life with all this other stuff, and when I have time, I'll throw God's stuff in there. So maybe the Spirit would encourage you to look at priorities in your life. Do you desire that the world see Him as He is? 
This is a critical link because if it never gets to this point, it's just a real touchy-feely kind of thing, which is okay, but it's not really what God wants. God wants all that he's doing in us to be translated to where he goes out into the world. So maybe that's where God's spirit would be speaking to you this morning that maybe there's some people in the world that you need to intentionally say, hey, let me talk to you about Christ. I don't know what the spirit may say. I just invite you to let the spirit minister to you and speak to you. We're gonna sing, we're gonna worship. We're gonna stand in a moment. We'll have some prayer team members available. If you would like to talk to somebody about any of this, we're available. Maybe there's something totally different that you need, you need to talk about, pray about. Maybe you need to talk about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. I, I, I don't know, but it's your time to allow the Spirit to minister to you these moments. Father, we thank you that you are great, that you are high and exalted. And Father, may you help us understand that more and more and share that more and more. Be with these moments now that we would allow you to, to, to speak and minister to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.